Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap Newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and due diligence. Plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap wrap to show how the Microcap space has performed every week and compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Again, to subscribe for free, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Tim Travis, CEO, CIO, and founder of TNT Capital Management. I've known of Tim for a while, but he recently made an appearance on Value After Hours with Tobias and Jake, and I wanted to have him on to discuss all things value investing. Tim is a deep value investor who closely follows everything that's been happening in value investing circles and, and, and beyond. So pretty simple. I, I wanted to have him on to ask him all about it. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 237 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Tim Travis. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And for my guest today, it's actually our first interview of my new digs. That's why I literally have nothing up here behind me if you're watching this on YouTube. But in any event, I got Tim Travis on the show today. He's the CEO, CIO, and founder of TNT Capital Management. I just heard Tim on uh, on Value After Hours on Toby's podcast and I had to have him on because uh, 
why not? I thought it'd be an awesome conversation. So with that, Tim, thanks for joining me today, man. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Appreciate you uh, uh, having me on the show and looking forward to it. Absolutely. Wait, so for those, who are, again, who are watching on YouTube, which, which president is that? Is that George? Is that, uh, it's, is that, it's Hamilton. It is uh, Hamilton. Okay. It's Hamilton. So, but uh, but uh, I would like to say that this was before the the play uh, got super popular. I was a big fan long before that, so I'm not I'm not a super trendy guy. But. Oh, oh, fair. I, I mean, <laughs> that that's totally fair. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad we got that out of the way first because I was going to say you probably must know one shot by heart and you know uh-huh. the, all all that stuff. No doubt about that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, you know, I know you've done a few other shows before, you know, talking about investing, talking about your background. But, you know, for those that may have not have heard your background or about TNT Capital Management, you know, where did your passion for investing begin? So I'd say that I'm rather traditional uh, from a value investor's point of view. Uh, you know, the usual stuff. I, I love the Buffett, um, you know, letters. Uh, I remember reading... Uh, the intelligent investor on a vacation in Hawaii with my dad. I was kind of uh, just biding my time by the pool. And I just remember it really echoed with me. It made sense. And that was kind of during the, the tech bubble collapse. Um, and I definitely lived through the mania of it uh, at a young age, but didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, so then I, you know, just started looking at all the different people, Martin Whitman, Bruce Berkowitz, kind of the early 2000s. Uh, people that, that were just dominating the market. Uh, and so that's kind of where I got uh, my background. I worked at, at Vanguard Group. That was my first job out of college. So that was an interesting contrast because it was index funds, mutual funds. And uh, during that period, you know, stocks were tanking. Uh, the, the Nasdaq dropped, you know, about 75% peak to trough. And so and so for me, as someone that, that saw the value and kind of the value investing template, I realized that that wasn't the type of investing that I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of hand select each and every security uh, for better or worse. And so, uh, you know, ultimately I kind of developed my business plan, you know, during, during that time and, and did what I wanted to do at, when I could. Absolutely. So what ultimately led then to the founding of TNT? Well, uh, after Vanguard, I worked at a, a smaller firm that specialized in kind of option strategies. And so what they did was they basically uh, did credit spreads on the S&P 500 and other indexes. And so I learned about options. And, and what's interesting about that strategy is that I, I don't recommend it to most people, but, but you know, most options do expire worthless. And so, you know, studying history, I realized, okay, there's problems with the strategy. I wouldn't want to build a firm around that. Um, but I realized that if you could sell options on securities that you actually wanted to own. So if your biggest risk was, Look, I'm exercised on this put on Citigroup, and now I have to own the stock at you know a lower price. Well, then that's a great that's a great scenario because you're either making money from selling the option premium, or you're willing to own the stock at a cheaper price. And I had read that uh, Buffett did that uh, in uh, how he started acquiring shares in Burlington Northern Santa Fe, and so I was like, oh man, why why doesn't everyone do this? And there are reasons for it. But uh, basically, I decided, you know, if I could if I could do a strategy like this, which is kind of like a hedge fund type strategy, but offer it to, you know, the everyday, you know, retail investor, that would be a really nice niche. And uh, it's been a really good platform for us to grow from, because when people do kind of understand how it works, uh, I often do get the question, why doesn't everyone do it? 
Absolutely. So, you know, you're kind of, I would say you're self-described devalue investor, right? Yeah, I think we- 100%. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, you know, Toby, Toby Carlisle has been my guy when it comes to devalue investing. I've interviewed him multiple times, you know. I, so how would you say, what, how would you define devalue investing for yourself? Do, do you defer in how Toby looks at stocks as well? Or, or how, how do you look at it? Uh, I've read all his books. I love Toby. Um, you know, I, I, I would refer to deep value investing as buying securities at a large discount to intrinsic value. Um, you know, not necessarily just buying great businesses for a fair price. I, I think that that's kind of a big difference between deep value and and maybe just traditional value investing, um, kind of kind of the, the newer Buffett model. Um, so, so I like, you know, big margin of safety, uh, you know, a lot of times I want to be able to withstand things going wrong. I mean, we've seen the tech bubble, we've seen, uh, the financial crisis, we've seen 2020, we've seen this bear market. So you need that margin of safety to really, you know, feel comfortable. And I also think it gives you the most upside potential when you do get positive catalysts. Absolutely. You know, so you, you talked about kind of your hedge fund type strategy using a lot of options when you go in and out of position. You know, we had, I had Matthew Peterson on here who also talks about, you know, how, I, I, do you know Matthew? Have you, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the name. I'd probably recognize him if I saw the, the video. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So he talks a lot about his option strategies as well when going in and out of stock. So can you explain that a little bit further for the, because I'll be honest, sure. I'm a self-admitted dunce when it comes to options. So I yeah. love, love to hear more there. So, so I, I don't even love using the term options because, because the last thing I want to present myself as is like some like broker peddling options, not a broker. What, what we do is we use two strategies. That's it. So we do covered calls. So just vanilla covered calls. Um, you know, you own the stock, you sell a call at a price you're willing to sell the stock at. Uh, and if the call expires worthless, if the stock's below that strike price, you just increased your, your premium um, and you still own the stock. Or if it you know hits your strike price at expiration, you're willing to sell it. So just that's pretty vanilla. The other strategy is just as vanilla. It's uh, selling cash secured puts. So uh, we sell a put on a stock that we'd be happy to own and at a strike price that we'd be happy to own. And it's kind of like a flip of a coin. There's only two things that can happen if you hold that option to expiration. Heads, your option expires worthless, which means you keep 100% of the premium you collected. Or tails, you end up owning the stock at a cheaper price and you've got all the upside or downside from there. Very good. So, so then what does that ideal investment look like for you? You know, we talked a little bit about devalue and all that stuff, but right now for you, what, what's, what, what's interesting or what's, what's looking good? I mean, a lot. I, I've been nerding out on uh, conference calls and quarterly filings because, because this is when you can make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, sentiment is, is polar opposite of, of last year. Uh, and even really the second half of 2020, I mean, that most people, you know, see the market down 20, 30% at the lows for the NASDAQ. And, you know, they seem to think, okay, well, this could be 50% down. And it could, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it can't, but I mean, you have a lot of stocks down 60, 70, 80%. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at a lot of different things. I'm looking for strong balance sheets, uh, big disconnect between, between price and intrinsic value, uh, good growth prospects. So a lot of those, I, I, I love financial stocks. Uh, it's not that I necessarily specialize in them, but they're, they're definitely within my circle of confidence. 
Uh, so, so there's definitely good values there. And, and also, you know, on the, the technology space, there's some, um, you know, across the board, really. You know, there's this one phrase that I, I kind of dig when it comes to times like these, and it's the phrase fallen angels. You know, yeah. in, in fact, we yeah. might be doing something for the magazine uh, for our microcap review for Q3 talking about that. So for you, what does that mean to you? And have you been seeing a lot of these fallen angel opportunities in times like these? Oh, I, I definitely think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, one stock uh, that that we own is is Lending Club, for instance, and so that was a stock that kind of meandered around for a long time. Uh, you know, it, it was trading in the single digits, and I didn't really, you know, I I followed it. I thought it was kind of a cool concept. Uh, you know, basically, it's it's an exchange for loans, uh, for personal loans, is how it started. And then, you know, I read read a really good uh, report on Seeking Alpha uh, from uh, IP Banking, and uh, it was it was a it was in uh, 20, 20, uh, 2021, um, early spring of twenty twenty one, and they had just bought a bank, and and so the business model just dramatically changed. So they're they're originating these these loans at 12 percent spreads. And they were either, you know, putting it on a warehouse line or, you know, issuing asset-backed securities, higher cost of capital type stuff, unsecured debt. But now they were able to fund these, you know, high-yielding loans, which they've underwritten pretty well in the past by using, you know, deposits at virtually nothing, uh, you know, interest. And so it was very obvious that that was a business that was going to see profits accrue and grow very rapidly. And they had the, they were just going to put more on the balance sheet. And so that's the stock. It rocketed from like 10 to 50 or I don't even know what the high was, 60. Uh, and then and then it's come back down and now it's trading at around 14-ish. So I'd say that that's kind of like, it, you know, people saw it as fintech. Now they almost see it as more of like a bank, but it got sold off with, with all of the fears that are out there. And that's a fantastic growth opportunity that also trades at a value multiple. Absolutely. I mean... <clears throat> When it comes to times like these and you're, you know, kind of, I, I mean, I've talked to a number of value investors and other investors, especially right now, where I don't know if it's necessarily kid in a candy store kind of feeling, but just because the sentiment is polar opposite to what it was second half of 2020, 2021, you know, it, it almost seems some, somewhat difficult to say, all right, well, where, what, what should I look? Where should I look here? Well, should I look, you know, it's almost kind of difficult to try and figure out like, all right, where should I put more of my time and energy? So for you, what, how do you think about that? And where do you try and put some more of your time and energy when it feels like there might be a lot of deals out there right now? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm just really trying to focus on, on stocks where I really uh, feel that there's, you know, reasons why it can't blow up. Uh, and so, so I definitely don't want to take, you know, permanent losses of capital here in this type of environment. Uh, I don't need to go for the weaker quality uh, companies in this in the same industry. I think you could focus on quality and just really focus on if you're getting a dividend, that's really nice, too. So you're getting you're getting, you know, if you can get a four to five percent, maybe three and a half type dividend yield on a profitable company trading at a discount to what you perceive to be, you know, liquidation value or definitely intrinsic value, you know, that's pretty attractive, especially if they can grow. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Uh, you know, I'd say a lot in the financial space where you have that much margin of safety. Absolutely. So speaking of, you know, you've been, we're in the throes of, uh, of earnings season right now. 
What are some of the things that you're seeing? You know, our companies, how are they reporting? You know, I've seen a few yeah. on the microcap side, so it's mixed results. So I'd love to hear your, <laughs> it's yeah. always mixed results on microcaps. What the hell am I saying? Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I imagine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, overall, I'd, I'd say bifurcated economy uh, where people are spending money. I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest is on fire. Uh, you know, I mean, the Caesars guys, we're saying that uh, I, I just basically business has never been better for them. And then, uh, you know, J, Jamie Diamond said that, uh, you know, commercial credit is the strongest in his lifetime. That's a, it's a strong statement, you know. And then when you look at the consumer, the consumer is strong. Credit numbers are good. Um, but on the subprime space, you know, you are seeing, uh, you know, degradation there. And, and so... You know, I, I think I think it's a, a tough situation. People just people are spending more money, but they they have to. You know, it's just basic needs: food, rent, uh, gasoline. Uh, so and that and that detracts the amount of money that they can spend on things like a new TV or something like that. So it's a different, more service oriented economy, and also more kind of like consumer staples, also trading down there. Um, so we'll see how it we'll see how it shakes out. Unemployment will tell the story. If people have a job, you know, I, I don't think the economy is going to fall down a cliff. I, I think it'll be a kind of like a 2000 and 2001 recession uh, where, you know, tech takes a hit. You see some layoffs there. Uh, you know, some companies are impacted. Markets are impacted. But the general economy still kind of functions and, and, and does OK. Um, you know, if, if unemployment gets dramatically worse, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That could, it could be a much worse situation. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of your reasons you got into invest investing, how you got passionate for it was reading all Buffett's letters. Um, this is my quick transition into Buffett's recent quarterly announcement. <laughs> um, Chris Bloomstrand actually put out a really great thread, you know, providing a bit of insight on that. But as a Buffettite yourself, I mean, what did you think of his most recent uh, uh, Q2s? I thought it was good. I mean, I mean, it's interesting to see Geico really struggle. Uh, which, which, you know, I, I don't remember that in a long time. Uh, so, so, I mean, that they're feeling the impact, like a lot of, a lot of other companies, you know, when they're repairing cars, the, the, the costs are, are extreme, you know, to get, to get the parts. And there's also huge delays and things like that. Uh, on the investment side, it's nice to see him more active. Uh, you know, in, in 2020, it was kind of as a value investor and a, you know, a fan of his, I guess you could say. Uh, it was kind of disappointing that he didn't get more aggressive in, in March, but no one knew what the heck was going on in March of 2020. So I can't really blame him. And there was a short window, but uh, it's, it's exciting seeing him get aggressive. It's also interesting with Occidental because there's so much history there uh, to see him kind of, you know, buy when he did, get killed on it and then, you know, not buy when it was really cheap and then back up the truck, you know, now that we're kind of in a bull market for energy again, I just think it's interesting. It's, it's fun to watch. Absolutely. You know, another question I want, I mean, going on current events now only because uh, listen, I'm publishing this. Uh, it, well, if you're listening to this, we did this interview on uh, August 9th, but um, you know, also wanted to ask you, cause you've written about this a little bit about, you know, inflation concerns and, you know, um, the type of outlook that you're you're trying to embrace with that in mind. So, you know, what's your take on inflation, how that's affecting your portfolio's construction or investing strategy going forward? 
Well, so I've been concerned about inflation definitely, you know, since 2020, when you saw the stimulus. I mean, you shut down the, the global economy, uh, you know, and and the answer to that is just print an, an insane amount of money. That's not going to end really well. You know, it's not it's not going to end well. It's going to end with inflation. And and so, you know, I, we looked at kind of where bonds were, were priced at. You know, I remember the the junk bonds were yielding sub 5% yields. And so what we did was we we did we invested in hardly any bonds, only like special situation type things. And then we kind of, you know, focused on sectors that would benefit from inflationary or or rising rate environment. And then for kind of the the yield portion of our portfolio, we we did a lot of, you know, sole puts and stuff like that. To, to generate kind of that income without necessarily having the interest rate risk of bonds. And so that's helped us quite a bit, uh, you know, this year, uh, you know, do, do better than the market, thankfully. But, uh, you know, the way that we see inflation now is, is I think the CPI numbers are going to be challenging for, you know, the next year because you have the, the housing uh, segment of it which is delayed in the way that it shows. You know, it didn't show the full rise that we saw last year. And, and so it's gonna take a longer for that to kind of reset itself out of there. But I think most areas, commodity prices, you know, gasoline prices are starting to come down, food prices are coming down. You know, I think the, the, we've hit peak inflation is my opinion. So I think bonds have seen the worst of it, um, but you know, I, I do think the Fed's in a really tough situation. They're, you know, I hope they don't raise too much. I think that that would be a mistake. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I should have probably followed up with you when you said this earlier and you mentioned how, you know, it just so happens, you know, in this environment or right now you happen to, it seems like your portfolio is a bit more weighted on the financial side. Mm -hmm. So I want to understand better a little bit as to why. Well, I mean, I mean, margin of safety, uh, you know, so, so, I'll, I'll give you an example of a stock that we've owned since I believe 2009, maybe late 2008. I don't. Um, so a sure guarantee. Uh, it's a bond insurance company, and and what they do is is you know if if uh, you know you're like the MTA transit line in New York or whatever, you know if they go and issue bonds, and let's just say hypothetically they have a triple B plus credit rating, uh, a sure guarantee has a double A credit rating, and by insuring that bond. Uh, the MTA pays a lower interest rate and then Assured collects a premium based on kind of the spread between what the rates would have been and what it is with their guarantee. And so that's a company that, that's been plagued by Puerto Rico. When Puerto Rico defaulted, uh, they defaulted on about, for Assured Guarantees exposure, it was in excess of $5 billion of, of debt par. Uh, outstanding. So it was a big, you know, liability. And Puerto Rico just said, even if we can pay, and even if like we have revenues that are assigned to these uh, bonds, we're just not going to pay. And of course, Congress, you know, passed uh, a restructuring law to enable them to do that. Um, but 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 that's a stock that it has a, a, a operating book value per share of about $90. It's got what they call an adjusted book value per share, which factors in kind of the present value of future premiums, uh, that's that's at about $135 per share. And the stock trades at about 52. It's been profitable every year since it became public in 2004. So even with the, the financial crisis with, with Puerto Rico, 
with, um, uh, you know, Stockton, those different bankruptcies that occurred, they've been profitable. And what they've done is they've, they've bought back 70% of, of their stock over the last, I believe it's eight years, uh, at all at huge discounts. And so you've got a company that doesn't have a high return on equity, but they've grown book value at a rate that's comparable to any insurer that I'm aware of, a book value per share, I should say. So that's the type of thing where it's not a sexy business. You know, most people don't know what the heck it is or what what it does or, or why you'd want to own it per se. But it's one where you do have a very large margin of safety and you've got a management team, you know, that you can trust. They, you know, I've, I've seen their track record. It's the same guy since 2004 when they went public. So another question I have for you, and and this is actually going back to, you know, where your passion for investing began a little bit. But I mean, did you have an experience or an investing experience that kind of shaped a little bit as to why you're now wanting to focus on margin of safety, either then or actually even a recent example, if you got one of those? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I, I grew up, I was in high school in the, the 1990s bubble. Uh, so, so you saw just, you know, people, people getting rich, people, seemingly, you know, throwing darts at, at stocks. I mean, that that's really what it was like. You know, it's it's kind of like 2020 and 2021 were in a lot of senses with crypto and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of parallels. And so to see that collapse, I thought was really interesting. You know, so you see that collapse and you see these high flyers, everyone thinks it's so easy. And then all the day traders are gone. You know, no one wants to touch the stock market. So I found that that very interesting. And then, you know, you see they wrote off Buffett in whatever that Fortune or, or Forbes article was when they put him on the cover and he done. And then what are the great stocks coming out of that recession? It was those, you know, PNC companies like the Berkshire Hathaway, the Markels, the Fairfaxes that rose like a phoenix, you know. And so so I think that that I'm a, by nature, I'm contrarian. And so I, I got really interested in that. I mean, it's been an interesting run for value. As you know, uh, as Toby can attest to, too, it's just value was so out of favor, just like those 1990s. So we'll see if that turns around or not. But but I'd say just that. Well, it did have like a moment earlier this year, right? So yeah. what was so that so that was, you know, it had the moment, you know, yeah. it might. Right. I mean, so that yeah. that must have been a little validating at the time. And, you know, we'll still see from there right oh absolutely i mean i mean no it, i i'm very comfortable with with where it sits at it's one nice thing about kind of incorporating like the covered calls and the cash secure puts is you don't have to just be 100 percent long stocks there's multiple ways that you can profit and so that's really helped us during kind of this you know value uh era uh and so yeah i mean i think i think if you look at where the market's at the market's not insanely cheap you know there's areas that are cheap and there's stocks that are cheap but you could see another lost decade. I remember 2000 to 2012, a lot of stocks, Microsoft, the market, it really didn't do much. Same thing for 1964 to 1982, the market didn't do much. If you get a period like that, buying undervalued securities is going to be a huge way to, to benefit when other people really aren't making money. Or just buy undervalued securities and hold it for 15 years or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for you, what's your I mean, what's your normal hold time? Are you are you one of those where it's like ultra long term or do you have kind of like some some of your own mandates? 
I mean, a lot of stocks we've owned for years. I mean, I mean, a decade is is not uncommon, uh, you know, for us. Uh, and that's and that's. But but I will say it's a little different though because you know because we're using covered calls, we're using cash secured puts. There's a lot of times you know we're selling. I mean, like we sold Citigroup at tangible book value per share. You know, we sold it, which is right now is around eighty, and we own Citigroup still. Um, so we sold it before, and then we bought it because I mean, whenever the market has the sniffles, uh, banks tend to sell off quite a bit, and Citigroup uh, alongside it. And so, you know, now it's trading at, you know, $51, $52 a share, a huge discount to tangible book value. Now we see it as quite an attractive buy. That's another one of those where you get like a 4% dividend. You've got stock buybacks. They're limited on that right now. Uh, but, you know, it trades at five or six times earnings and those earnings should grow, uh, you know, nicely. They're benefiting from higher interest rates. They're well-reserved for, for credit to get a little worse if it does. Uh, they benefit from volatility with their trading businesses. Uh, so, so that's the type of thing we'll, we'll you know, once we own, understand a company really well, we're able to kind of take advantage of the ebbs and flows in it. Absolutely. So to kind of close the book, I guess, on some current events, because I, I asked you about a, a few of them already, you know, is there anything that we left out or is there anything that's super interesting to you that you've been following or watching a little bit more closely? Um. You know, one thing I'll just add on with with the stock I told you about, Assured Guarantee. What's one thing that's so Puerto Rico? I think it went it went bankrupt in. I think the restructuring started in 2016. Basically, 2015 is when it became obvious that they were going to, and then 2016 I think is when that new law passed. So now it's 2022, and finally it's getting resolved. So we're down to like two more credits out of what was like a dozen that defaulted. And uh, in mid-August, the one that was most dangerous to assure guarantee, which is the Highway Transit Authority, that that should get worked out, uh, should be finalized. They have a deal in place and it should be finalized uh, in the next month. So that's the biggest risk is going to be off the table for that stock. And then there's only one, there's the utility left, which which they uh, they've already had consensual agreements where where it would be a 95% recovery. So it's not going to be a big deal in my opinion. So that's just something that, that people might watch. Um, the, the Puerto Rico, that was you, your question that you asked a minute ago about like interesting things in deep value. I remember in, I believe it was 2015 or 2016, uh, those bonds, the general obligation bonds for Puerto Rico, they were trading at like 18 or 20 cents on the dollar. And in Puerto Rico's constitution, they, they are above like employee salaries. They're, they're the most ironclad, you know, security uh, in that, in that constitution. Of course, they changed the law, you know, so it's a lesson. I mean, just because you have like the legal right, doesn't mean that, that, that you're necessarily going to fully benefit from that, right? Uh, things can change, but those bonds, they traded up to like 85 cents on the dollar, 80 to 85 cents on the dollar. So it's just a, you know, that's deep value in, in the fixed income arena. Very good. So, I, you know, I asked this to almost everybody on here as well, um, in terms of your your research process and channel checks and whatnot. Do do you talk with me? I mean, you don't really focus. I don't think in microcaps all that much. But I mean, do you, do you talk with management? Do you what kind of channel checks do you do? Um, you know, love love I to love learn. that question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes. When when I can, I do talk to management. And there's, you know, we, we're just under a hundred million dollars, so we're not a huge 
uh, huge firm. Um, but but you know, I, I found that companies that that I that I trust after getting to know them better, they're usually more willing to engage with investors, especially if they know you're a long-term investor and put in some work to actually understand the business. Uh, so absolutely I do. And and I like the micro cap space quite a bit. I always kind of had the the desire. I wanted to, I, I love activist investing. I love seeing um, what some of those guys do. It's very expensive to run proxy contests and things like that. And I have seen when I when I've invested in microcaps in the past, I've gotten frustrated because you'll have you've I'm sure you've seen the situation a million times. You'll have like a huge net cash position, no debt, you know, a profitable business that's cash flowing nicely. And so it's like, okay, well, why not just buy your stock back or 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 really, you know, if you've got a great investment opportunity to do it. And then it's like, okay, you do some egregious acquisition at a very high price. And so I got burnt by that a few times. And, and so that's that's why I'm not as active in that space. But I would. I'm definitely I'm definitely open to it. Well, what what's what else is holding you back? I mean, I, hey, getting burned by that. I, I hear you all day, every day. It's more it's so it's annoying because it's not just the management team that also like thinks that they need to do that kind of acquisition. Yeah, it's 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 also a lot of their shareholder base saying, hey, you got to do something with this cash. It's true. You know, and it's then true. that, and then they, you know, they go out there and make a dumb acquisition because they're like, "Oh, you guys said you want a acquisition. What do you, what do you want from me?" Well, and they're more susceptible. They're more susceptible to that one strong shareholder who could buy a large. I mean, I've seen that too, yeah. where you have like some really rich hedge fund manager that basically, you know, has management by the balls, and and, and they can even manipulate that to benefit other businesses that they own and things like that. I mean, I've, I've seen stuff like that, but, but, you know, I'd, I'd be open to anything on the micro cap space. I guess just right now I see so many opportunities, even in the large cap space that I just, I just don't feel, I don't feel that, that, you know, I'm kind of just focused on where I know, where I know better. And I know those opportunities more right now. For sure. And you know, look, dude, when it comes to market downturns, microcaps are always the first to get hit and the last to recover. So you got time, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I'm, I'm open. If anyone has uh, good ideas in the microcap space, I'd love to research them. Absolutely. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, so is I mean, is there anything we're, we've we've missed on the deep value side that you know has been coming up that's interesting? You know, it's it's a weird time because it seems like you know a lot of the. A lot of these types of conversations, a lot of these types of thought pieces on value investing have kind of been already sussed out in some respects, you know, so that's why I like having these individual talks, because there's always something that yeah. we're missing, you know, so I mean, for you, what what is it? I think I think stuff like I mean, I know a lot of people probably say this, but but I think stocks like Google, uh, you know, stocks like Facebook, uh, I, I don't go by the new names as much as, as they're Google and Facebook to me. But if you look at, you know, the valuations that they trade at, the return on invested capital of, the, of those businesses, the, the strong balance sheets, not a lot has to go perfectly well to make money on them. And I remember when Buffett bought Apple, uh, you know, it was a it was it was not a typical uh, move for him. Um, but but I mean, obviously, it paid off really well. And, and sometimes, you know, you just swing for the easy pitches. So I think for people that you know, kind of didn't participate in the massive bubble that occurred on a lot of those uh, tech stocks the last couple of years, you know, you have an easy opportunity there, uh, you know, for at least a portion of your capital to buy it at attractive prices. Doesn't mean it can't go cheaper, 
But I think that, that that's a nice, nice holding to have. Kind of boring, but maybe, but, but good businesses, which, which is, is nice, especially when you're on the deep value side, when you can get return on capital like that, uh, you know, you should jump at it, especially at, you know, teens multiples. Very good. And real quick, are are do you are you a shareholder yes. in yes. Google? Sorry about that. We we own both those as well. Yeah. Got we it. don't well, own Apple. We don't own Apple. Gotcha. Uh, so you also mentioned that, you know, uh, you talked about financials, how that's been kind of interesting, but you also said a little bit of tech as well. You even just said it too, yeah. that there are some of these opportunities in tech. So what are some of the things that you're looking for in that respect, other than just being like, hey, it's cheap? You know, we also, yeah. you know, we want to now make sure too that they're good businesses. So what what about the ones that might look cheap are also then good businesses in your opinion well so i watched i watched your interview with toby recently and, and i think one of your questions was you know what's the qualitative factor that's most important to you and and i thought about that and, and my answer would be just trust and management so so you know i remember hewlett packard uh when, when they made just horrendous acquisition after horrendous acquisition with Carly Fiorina. And I believe Mark Hurd was part of that too. And then Meg Whitman came in and really righted the ship. So you had a really cheap stock, but she was very clear. She's like, we're not going to do, you know, these acquisitions. We're going to focus on cash flow, reduce debt. We're going to buy back stock when it's cheap. She, you know, really, she just did an excellent job and totally turned around that company. So, so I'm looking for when I, when I'm on the tech side or any company, I just want to trust management. Are you going to do what's in the best interest of shareholders? Uh, Upstart is a stock we don't have any position in, but I'll give you an example of how stuff can be so strange. They they are having trouble selling their their loans that they they originate from their algorithm, and so they decided to use their strong balance sheet to put some on. So they put some on, and then. They're like, no, we don't want to do that. The market reacted horribly to it. So they sold a bunch of these loans at huge losses. And now they just reported earnings uh, yesterday and they had their conference call. Now they're expanding their balance sheet again. This is all within like one quarter. So that's a management team that, frankly, they've done some really big things, but I just, I wouldn't trust them uh, to make them like a big position or anything like that. Gotcha. All right. No, that's, that's good thing. That's a good thing to listen for. I mean, and you know, we've been listening to some of these conference calls, at least on the tech side from the transcripts or some of the calls that you've listened to, what has been kind of the, you know, they all end up saying something along the lines that's very similar, whether it's blaming inflation for, you know, poor sales growth or, you know, poor margins. Um, but what's been some of the, the, I guess, common things you've heard thus far on some of this, these calls that you've heard? Uh, just kind of weaker, weaker ad spending is the common theme, really. And just, you know, so a lot of a lot of them are just not getting back to uh, a lot of the pandemic and lockdown beneficiaries have just seen that really deflate. I mean, people are going to the malls again. You know, malls are actually doing really well. You know, it, it's an interesting time. So you're just seeing that, that you know, the, the, the idea was that, you know, it was accelerating growth in these industries and that wouldn't come back to normal. And it really has kind of come back to normal. They'll still, you know, online still growing, of course, and, and whatnot. But but uh, it's been interesting to see that that bubble deflated quite a bit. Absolutely. All right. So only a couple more questions for you here today. Um, you know, I asked you earlier about a, an investing experience that, you know, kind of guided you in your career. But what would you say is an investing experience that really changed your career the most? Well, that's, that's another interesting one. I mean, I mean, I'd say like in my, in my 
professional career, you know, owning a, owning my business, which we're going up on 11 years, uh, definitely a sure guarantee because that I've owned it for so long and, and we've made a lot of money on that over time. But I'd say I learned a lot during the financial crisis uh, because because you had I remember uh, you had like Walt, 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 Wally White's. Or I don't know if you're familiar with that guy. He's a fund manager. I'll never forget him being on CNBC and talking about like countrywide financial. I'd say, well, it's trading at four to five times earnings, you know, and and uh, yeah, they're dealing with, uh, you know, short term hiccups in in mortgages. But. Uh, this is the type of stuff or Bill Miller when he was talking about Bear Stearns and, you know, so from a statistical standpoint, those stocks were a value investor to dream in many ways from if you're just looking at kind of the quantitative factors, but you have to understand how do these businesses blow up? And that had never happened. You know, that had never happened. A, finance, a housing crisis like that had never happened. So I would encourage any younger investors, you know, getting started, really think about how does this business blow up? And, and how do we make sure that we have protection from there? Now, banks are really different with the way capital they have, the regulatory environment, the way that loans are underwritten. Um, so so seeing that just day after day, huge companies just blowing up like that, uh, you know, it makes you it makes you really want to focus on the balance sheet probably more so than most people would. Very good. All right. So to close this out here, you know, what, what advice would you have for folks that are looking at the markets right now, or even maybe to some of your friends and family or anybody that's giving you a call right now, be like, yo, what what the heck's going on? You know, so what what's some advice that you'd have for them? I'd say understand what you own. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, kind of got into the crypto space and many have made a ton of money and I, I applaud them for it, but just make sure you understand what you own. Like the Celsius bankruptcy, that, that was made off in size, you know, and, and, if, if I remember when I had a, a, a prospective client who actually became a client and he was explaining to me how he was making 20% loaning his crypto. And it was very clear that this was going to be, you know, some type of, of, of scheme that was going to end up terribly because it's just economics. It just does not work like that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so understand what you own. And so if you're an index fund investor, that's great. You'll do great over time. You know, if, if you're a mutual fund, just, Plug it into T. Rowe Price, that's cool too. Or if you like individual stocks, you know, but but have a strategy and don't deviate. You know, the people that really do it, if you're a value guy that got into growth in 2021, you know, you lost a ton of money both ways. Um, so I, I think staying true to your methodology and understanding why you invest a certain way and what you invest in, I think is the critical element. It's a great place to end it. So Tim, where, where can my audience go and find more information on you, TNT Capital Management? You know, plug away. Sure. Uh, so our, our value is TT value. Our excuse me, our website is ttvalueinvesting.com, and so you can find us there. And uh, my Twitter handle is Tim Travis Value. And uh, yeah, absolutely, Kira, if you need anything. Very cool. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe and. Uh, Look forward to meeting in person at some point soon. You're from California. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Same here.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.